Okay. Between us recording uh, Andrew's podcast episode, uh, literally, I think yesterday or the day before. And now I, yeah, yeah, I've developed a a, a hacking cough. So guys, welcome to neurodivergent (laughs) moments. It's going to sound like you've been cured when uh, Savannah Paul plays. Yeah, I know. After this, I'm going to be like, hey, guys. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm Abigailia and, uh, and I, uh... <laughs> I've got a cold. It's not COVID. I'm looking at the test. I'm clear, guys. I'm it's totally still clear. clear. How long's left on the test? I think we're done. I think we did it. Okay. Yeah, You're all clear. Yeah, because it's been 21 minutes. I took it literally right before we signed up because I thought it'd be fun if in the middle of our intro, I was like, (laughs) well, fuck. Cancel (laughs) Christmas again. Um, I've got a Christmas cold and ADHD. Yeah. Yep. I have the autistic comedian Joe Wells. (laughs) There we go. I'm going to have to carry this intro. (laughs) We had Andrew O'Neill on. We had Andrew and Neil on talk about ADHD. They are a brilliant comedian, musician, uh, heavy metal historian, um, also a person of many trades. Um, yeah, they were wonderful to have on. I kind of, I haven't seen Andrew in quite some time. And as we were talking to them, it kind of started to trigger all my memories of hanging out with Andrew. And you know, at the end, they were so sweet because they were like, you are genuinely good friends of mine. Oh, I know. And it was so sweet. And it just reminded me that, like, we go back so far. Like, we did Australia together. We did a really weird gig in Darwin. They stayed at my house in New York when I lived there. And they did gigs in New York. And we've done Edinburgh together. And they're one of those people that just is a delight to be around and as we were recording with them i was like we could literally go for four hours here we scratched the surface oh there's so much we didn't touch we yeah we we didn't touch on um we briefly touched on on the hitchhiking um we didn't touch really on andrew's politics or the band Have have you seen the men that will not be blamed uh i've never actually seen them all together at once which is weird. Oh, God, they're br- so good. Yeah, really fun life. Man. I've, I've seen them a couple of times. That, um, I saw a festival of a bunch of... There was like a family festival, so there's loads of kids in a mosh pit. That was very fun. <laughs> and I've seen them at a proper grown-up gig in Southampton. And um, music, they're, they're a great band, and they're also... Tell you what is great, seeing a good band, but because they're all comedians, or at least two of them are, they've got good stage patter in between the songs yeah usually you get a, a band and they're just really boring in between and as a comedian you hate that they get big laughs but men that will not be blamed genuinely funny in between the songs and andrew is non-binary which we barely touched on that as well i'm gonna go ahead and say it joe um when we have our first returning guest i think it should be andrew definitely yeah if we can uncover all the things that that we didn't talk about yeah yeah. I apologize that there will be bits in this list where you go, well, aren't you going to dig into that a bit more? But we nope. know how much there is to see. Yeah. So we're, um, uh, we only briefly touched on things. Uh, but, uh, guys, let's, let's just do it. Here's let's Andrew. do it. Today we have you, lovely Andrew O'Neill, on the Welcome. podcast. Hello, how's it going? Great. Yeah, good. Um, I think I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again. The second date I ever went on with my partner, Tom Watts, was mm. to go see you 
history of metal at in uh Highbury and Islington. What's the name of that the venue? Garage. The garage. The garage, as the I would garage. pronounce it. <laughs> the garage. Um, and I really think you were instrumental in like sealing my uh sealing Tom's love for me. Like I Aww. feel like he's like, oh, this girl's cool. Cause <laughs> like when you talk about metal, as as we know, I'm not a, a metal head, but when you talk about metal, I'm like, this is very fun and interesting. Yeah, so, right. We went to go see it, and Tom, I remember afterwards, he was like, it was like watching like me grow up, like as you went through all the me- – he was like, it's like watching my childhood. And I was like, I knew you'd like it. That's great. That's really nice. And, it, you know, the thing about that show is, is I, like I wrote it with um, – I wrote it with my mum in mind. Like, so, you oh. know, quite often when you write something, you slightly picture the audience. And I was thinking, if my mum – could, if, if I could write everything so that my mum will understand it and that my mum will get everything I'm talking about, then the show becomes universal and not just for metal. It's obviously better for metalheads. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of, so that's, so, you know, that's, it's, and it's really nice when people fucking, I mean, people really, really, really dig that show. I yeah. didn't do it for four years because I was sick of it because I, I did it because I did it for four years. I did so. I like. I, I started it before the normal Edinburgh run. Then I did it in Edinburgh. Then I toured it. Then I did a band and toured it again. Then I got the book deal, so I wrote the book and then toured it again back in the book. And then I did a Kickstarter to film it, so I could just like take it around the back of the barn and shoot it in the head. And um, and then uh, I didn't do it for four years. And then Sarah Bonetto offered uh, a Blue Dot Festival this year. And li- like, frankly, just enough money to make them go, yeah, right. <laughs> and um. Uh, and and I was really, I was really nervous about doing it again because I thought maybe like I'd sucked all the life and joy out of it. And mm-hmm. and I did one online, um, which was one of the worst online show experiences I've ever done. I just hated it. It just felt so flat and rubbish. And I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible. And then I did it at Blue Dot in front of a thousand people, and it was like, oh, I love this show. <laughs> oh, I remember. It's about the audience being in the room. <laughs> We've sort of got used to like doing comedy on in online shows, haven't we? And that thing of like, you've got to leave, you've got to like, you have you have to wait longer to get the response. Yeah, which bit you kind mm. of give a pause, and then so the rhythm's completely different. But with the metal show, I was just like, I ha- I'm just hating doing this, and I realised it's because there wasn't that that in the moment in the room connection with the audience going, oh, this one or singing along or whatever else. So you know, yeah. So if you know, if anyone wants to offer me like a lot of money to do it again, please be aware that I'm prepared to do it again. (laughs) When you put a show away like that for a number of years and pull it back out, do you have trouble remembering it? Because I forget my shows so quickly, and a lot of like the little asides that you wind up putting, I'm I'm like they're gone. They're just gone. Absolutely, and and those little bits because there's like the scaffold of the show. There's the bits of the show that get you to, from the beginning to the middle to the end. And then there's all those wonderful little filigree additions that just disappear. I mean, I, I so the answer is yes. And I had to watch the video <laughs> to remind myself of it. Um, and, and also what I did was I did, because that, that show got really long. I mean, it ended up being like well over 90 minutes long. It was like, it was like an hour and three quarters in the end. And I, had to, I only had an hour. So that was actually quite useful to just make me go, right, what's the stuff I need to put in? What are the very funniest bits and what's the stuff I need to put in? But, I mean, I've got shows. I've done, like, 
14, 15 solo shows. Wow. And then I'll get to a club and I'll go, oh, I haven't got any material. You know that feeling <laughs> when you go to the club and you, you write your set out and you're going, I haven't really got anything. Actually, you've done 14 hours of comedy. There must be enough to fill a 20-minute set. What should I put in the middle here? Oh, I haven't got anything. So, yeah, they absolutely... It's like language, isn't it? If you don't use it, you lose it. I mean, like that. But then the other weird thing is is how easily once you put the effort in, it comes back. And if you do it a few times, it's like you're exploring the territory of that show. And then those little sides start to come. But then the other thing, of course, is discovering something new in it. Mm. And, you know, because we, I think anyone who's, anyone who's good is, is on a constant journey to improve as a stand-up. You know, and we all know the ones that aren't doing that. <laughs> They're generally the ones complaining about not getting enough work. Um, but, you know, but but what's really interesting is going back to a show you did, even like you know, like not that long before lockdown. I'm going, oh wow, I wouldn't say that that way now. There's that's you know, it's like you know, like with with any progress you make. Like you know, I'm 43. I consider my myself in my 30s to be this naive prick, and then myself in my 20s to be a child. You know, and then yeah. in my teens a baby, and it's the same as stand up. You know, I've been doing stand up for 20 years. Shit, I was doing 10 years ago. I'm like, how did anyone? Why did anybody pay me to do comedy when I was that much worse at it? It's, you know, it's odd, isn't it? And then I go, uh, like, pe- 10 years ago when, like, there's people who wouldn't book me. Now I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have booked <laughs> <laughs> Like, going back to Edinburgh, you know, when you write this show, especially my early ones, where you're like, oh, I've worked so hard on this. This is so great. And then these reviews come in that are like, yeah. And you're yeah. like, but it's amazing. And then, like, you go back and you're like, no, they were right. It was no, actually, right. yeah. if yeah. anything, they were kind. They were- <laughs> But that's that's the measure of someone who's growing, and mm. there are you know, and there are a lot of people who don't, and you know, I don't know to bring it in firmly into the topic. Maybe that's part of the restlessness that comes with ADHD, of like, how are you going to get a dopamine hit from a show if it's not definitely better than what you've done before? Yeah, and if you're, you know, there's there's that hedonic adaption where. You know, like you know those those gigs. There's, there's like there are little gigs that that sort of throughout your career where you storm harder than you realised you could, mm-hmm. and it mm. raises the bar on how well you can do. And then if you're not hitting that, then you're not doing well enough. And then you know, so that kind of like constant push towards if I'm not storming every gig, I'm not doing well enough. You so know, there's definitely good. even in new acts you can see the difference isn't how good they are it's how much they reflect on how well they've done and sometimes you <laughs> yeah, see yeah. newer acts who are okay but you can see there's no you see them a few times there's no reflection on how they've done but you might see someone doing their first gig and afterwards they know what they've done wrong and they know how to change it that's um mm-hmm. yeah that's how you get good we i, I was gonna say but I, I love your heavy metal book by the way it was something which sort of, i wasn't a big heavy metal fan I listened to equally problematic rap music and uh, I, but it, it really, it, it was interesting to say the fact about your mum because I, I came into it as a, as a sort of um, non-convert and it did bring me around to a lot of the bands that I'm, it, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be going to Bloodstock anytime soon, but uh, it did put a big dent in my bank balance when I read it because I went out and bought right. all of uh, Hellhammer and Cannibal Corpse and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing about metal is, is, it can be it, it, people in it can be elitist 
but they're in the minority. And generally, we get ex- like metalheads get excited when other people like the same music. Mm. I mean, you meet mm. someone and they like the same stuff. It's oh, good. That's good. That's a good thing. It's not like it's for me. It's not like kind of gatekeepy. It can be a bit, but it's it's not it's not compared to most other. I don't know culty underground scenes you know mm. pop well, music at the end of the day yeah well i think too i remember again when i did download festival and you mm. were on it like i think people have an idea about metalheads because you guys you guys dress scary and uh, <laughs> and so we're doing download festival and i look out into the audience and see like all you know the black and 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 everything and I, and i'm like I don't know how this is going to go for me. And you, you literally put your arm around me and you were like, first of all, it is, and this is true. It's the only festival where they book comedy where that night it's only comedy. So the people who show up want to watch comedy and you go, it's fine because they're all nerds. Yeah. (laughs) They're all nerds. And it was into this day. It is the best festival performance i've ever had the best reaction from the audience the most fun i've had on stage yeah i remember have you done done v fest no i haven't done v fest that's what that's as horrible as people worry about i was gonna say you're gonna tell me v fest is nice i I mean it's absolutely dreadful um but but you know here's you know here's here's a simple test right you're on a train carriage um at midnight it's the last train you're in a carriage on your own right a load of men walk in, right? It's, you know, option A, they're all wearing Ben Sherman shirts and smart trousers, and they've got, like, Peaky Blinders haircuts, right? Uh, there's 20 of them, right? Option B, they're all metalheads. Which of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> all walking mm. in. Which of those do you feel more comfortable with? Of course, the metalheads. Of, yeah. Like, 10 times out of 10, oh, what a relief. It's a load of metalheads. <laughs> this is going to be fine. They're probably not even going to talk to me, you know. Although I find, because I, I find a, it's all fun and games until I talk about how much I love the thing Lou Reed did with Metallica and metalheads don't like that. So I I, a sorry, I didn't, I didn't mention, guys, I do have to leave. I've got this other podcast <laughs> I need to do. <laughs> Absolute masterpiece for there. I mean, I know I, it's just me and Lou Reed that think that and he's dead now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, there, there is. There's apparently something of a movement uh, towards um, reevaluating that particular record. I've I've read some headlines and have not read the articles. Um, I mean, the the other thing is then what you what you're what you're starting to get towards there within metal is the narcissism of small differences. So it's, <laughs> if you're a metalhead, you're a metalhead, and you're in the club, and it's fine, and it's easy, right? But we do then start to define ourselves against the people who on the outside would see us as the same, which is why, you know, I, I make a joke of, I'm not a goth, I'm a metalhead, you know, um, mm. I exaggerate my, my anger about that. Um, but I mean, on the whole, I don't generally like goth men. I've got like, it's a real thing. I'd like, it's not just, there's a thing where sometimes I would go, Oh, why is this guy such a prick. I go, Oh, he's a goth, isn't he? Oh yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it's, it's happened a lot, but, um, but the narcissism of small differences is so like, you know, like there are people who love Slayer, but argue about which, which is the album when they stop being good. And that opinion is valuable to them. So I think mm-hmm. Divine Intervention is really good. And the River Guard, Divine Intervention, you know, that's like their f- first rubbish album. Like, oh, how can you think? This is, we're both Slayer fans though. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. that, I find that stuff really fascinating. I find the, the degree to which people, people's identity 
is based on these incremental differences, you know. And to a, to a degree, as a stand-up, I would define myself against certain types of stand-up, against, you know, certain types of people within stand-up. Um, I'm this type and not that type. But then then what what's good about stand-up uh, is the fact that you can have a whole night of comedy and have variation within that. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, that's why alternative comedy was, was so important in the UK because before alternative comedy, you'd have a comedian on a bill with a load of other stuff. Mm. You know, dancers and singers and stuff, and 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 now we've got a turn. It's going to do a bit of comedy, and then and then after seventy eight, seventy nine, um, then you can have a whole night of comedy and not get bored. Then that, then that, then in the nineties that disappeared, and it was all men talking about <laughs> you know <laughs> Star Wars and football and and girlfriends and stuff. And then now, I mean, who like who isn't like again? Who isn't delighted to see the like the the variety of person, the variety of type of person who's now on live at the Apollo. Yeah, yeah. You know, even well, though some it, people aren't pleased about it. I've well, heard. this is what I'm saying. <laughs> who isn't? Who isn't? You know, like and and even if even if even if that comedy isn't stylistically interesting, even if it isn't saying something new, to have the the different background and perspectives of different types of such different types of people is just in in just inherently more interesting you know yeah mm. i think totally oh definitely it's 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 just new stories we haven't heard before isn't it it's, mm. um I, yeah. here's a massive name drop but i was talking to benjamin zephaniah when researching my book mm-hmm. and uh he said that he did a class and there was a teaching poetry and someone in the class said i'm like a straight white man I don't feel like I've got anything to contribute. And he said, I feel that it is hard because you, your story has been told before. So you've got, it's hard to bring a new story to the table. Um, it's really, yeah, it was really interesting. I think that we're hearing new perspectives and new stories and they are. They I, are I agree. I agree. And also, I mean, you know, to, to, to pick, to pick on a particular category, um, there was a definite point where being, being a gay man, a white gay man was not enough to be interesting as a stand-up but there was definitely mm. a point where, where you'd get these guys going so i'm gay and you're just like right yeah so <laughs> i mean <laughs> i know right <laughs> I'm, I'm like totally gay yeah cool so what we so what we're we talking about <laughs> yeah mm. there's definitely like 10 years of, of of you know that wasn't enough but they hadn't got the memo i yeah. will say though like uh Benjamin's response to I get it because your story has been told I've never heard that before and that might give me a little bit more compassion because as a stand-up comedian (laughs) when I hear a guy be like oh well you know I'm a straight white dude and no one's interested in me anymore I'm like have you seen tv like it's better (laughs) (laughs) there's still a lot of you yeah. Like you just need to be better at being a straight white man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> funnier. Absolutely. Funnier is the funnier. Literally funnier. Or more like more interesting in what you choose to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the there are a lot of people on telly and I I kind of trained myself to not give a shit who is or isn't getting what, you know? Mm-hmm. Because that that is just poison and toxic and you can't compare yourself. Other no one is on telly in my place. No one is taking. There's not an Andrew Neil shaped hole that other people are filling. Uh, honk honk, fanar fanar, ding ding. Um, but um, but like, 
So, you know, but I do, you know, you can't help but go, oh, they're, okay, they're, oh, they've got on, on that thing. Um, uh, but to complain about it when what you're doing is not any different from what anyone else is doing, it's not, mm. you're not the funniest one on the bill. <laughs> it, you know, that, but that, that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's, it's a sort of lack of self-awareness. Why yeah. are they getting that not me? Well, A, their story hasn't been told before. Or B, they're funnier than you. Or B, they're nicer than you. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, people like them <laughs> and they want to work with them. Yeah. It's such a weird thing where people complain about TV as well because, like, it doesn't really. Obviously, if there's TV producers listening, please book me for whatever. Yeah. But oh, it, yeah. Same, it doesn't same. mean Very anything. You know, like, I think that, you know, there's people that have been on big TV shows now and there's there. And I love the circuit, but they are still doing the circuit. Absolutely. Um, and so doing you know, and and to- and doing gigs that are not as well paid as they should be. They're accepting mm, gigs yeah. and deval. I think a lot of these people are devaluing the circuit by it's no, it's true. I mean, the Apollo isn't what it used to be. Definitely not. And mm-hmm. you know, but that's but that's that's partly because of the internet. I mean, you look at um, uh, Dan Nightingale and um, what's his name? The uh, have a word. Adam Rowe. Adam, Adam Rowe. Rowe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they you know they just did an arena. That podcast yeah. just did an arena, and they've completely by. I mean, Adam did the Apollo, but I don't think that made much difference. I think yeah. that's because of the, the you know, it's, it's kind the other way around. Yeah, it's because of the yeah. Well, we, we had Deborah Francis Wright on the last podcast, and she, I think, she has been on Mock the Week. Right. But, but she TV got credits, it because could, yeah. her podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Her TV I credits just, are very small, and she's doing Royal Albert Hall, isn't she? It's um. Yeah, right. I just went to go see Mo Gilligan at the O2, and mm. like. Like Mo is Mo because he was doing online sketches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the thing too, and and because you know, like I'm at that point in my career where I'm like, I I want more, and it's slowly happening. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I really try to check myself when you see someone get on something where you think you deserve it. Yeah. And I think the important question is to go back and be like, okay, well, why do they have it and I don't? Yeah. Are they funnier than me? Do they have a different story? Do they have like that agent who has the juggernaut who's like, yeah. you know, it's like when like, oh, there's new, now only they're putting these new young people on the, the <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but like, that is a, 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 a black Muslim woman. Like they were never going to pick me. Like going back to that whole, like, like it's like yeah. if that's what they're looking for, I yeah. wasn't it. And you can ask. You don't do that character act anymore. It's yeah, I don't. It's <laughs> like a whole twenty twenty two. The woke, the snowflake. <laughs> but like, and then you got to ask yourself. It's like, okay, am I willing to do that? Like, am I willing to invest in the time and energy into a podcast the way the Have the Word Boys did, or am I willing to? make these daily sketches like Mo did or, you know, and sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes it's no. And you got to be honest with yourself about that. You know, you just got to be like, I'm not, I'm not going to go to every industry party and glad hand, you know, because that helps too. And if you're not someone like I was supposed to go to a party last night and I was like, I just want to go home Mm -hmm. and eat rice and Mm -hmm. uh, watch Netflix, you know? Yeah. And did you achieve 
the goal of going home and eating rice and watching it. Yeah, and it was great. There you go, right? It was That's great. something you achieved. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... What is this meal you're eating? Just rice? No, sorry. Uh, my, like, mm. anymore when I, like, don't have time to cook, but I want to come home and eat dinner at 11 p.m., I make rice, lentils, and uh, and usually broccoli, and I just put it all in a thing with some... Okay stock and and then i put yes. cheese on it and that's kind of like a Sounds bowl amazing. of warm that yeah. i can eat at night that i don't feel Sounds like nice. you know nice. it's not like a wrap <laughs> from you know yeah, yeah a takeaway yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah i want to talk about so our, our sort of broad theme was uh about sort of standing out and fitting in mm. um and uh i was worried about suggesting because i didn't want you to think that i thought that you're weird <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but then two days ago or a day ago I saw that you had been swimming in a river. I think it's minus six. Um, no, 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 no. At the no. moment, it was. It was. I mean, it would think about it. What happens to water? Oh, the weather is minus six. Okay, yeah, the water is yeah. minus six because that's ice. No, um, you can't but swim it, in ice. It, it, I mean, I like how you're. At the moment. Sorry, I like how Andrew. You're like, uh, calm down. It was just <laughs> the weather. It wasn't the actual water that was frozen. And you don't try, like, because I could, I wouldn't do that. But if I did it, I want to get straight in my car, heating on full. It's only over did there. Did you walk home after that? No, I cycled home. It's a, it's so, 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 I live, I live in Oxford. <laughs> That's normal. It's only, okay, I live in Oxford. Right. Yeah. I live in the north part of Oxford. Oxford is bound mm. by two rivers. There's a Thames on one side and a Charwell on the other, right? Yes. And the Charwell is a five-minute bike ride from my house. Um, now, I've been swimming in, the, in these... So when I was in Milton Keynes, I was swimming in the, uh, the River Great Ooze, uh, which is not a, not a particularly great river in, in Milton Keynes. But we, we live really... It was one of the few things that was good about where we were living. We were really close to that river. And I took Lyra in, and we'd have sort of little mini-adventures. Then we moved here, and I swam in the Thames, and I swam in the, in the Charwell. And the bit... I mean, if people look at my Instagram, you'll see the pictures of where it is. I where it is I, I do my dips. So in the summer, like we'll we will go and we will like properly we'll swim in the river. We'll spend ages in the river, and then we'll have and then we'll cook dinner by the side of the river. And you can't be in it all the time because it's, it's like you know it's still cold in the summer. But then I wanted to keep going all the way through the winter. So I have a, I have a, a definite thing, and I t- touched upon it a, a minute ago about my kind of comparing myself to my parents. I want my life to be full of texture and new experiences mm. and and you know I'm very very conscious that I've only got a certain amount of time on this planet and I want to you know I'm a bit quite it's almost quite hedonistic I want to do as much as possible and and experience as much as possible um and I got really I got into like things like wild camping through the guy called Alistair Humphreys who coined the term micro adventure and this is actually like this is a really good idea because basically everyone everyone likes the idea of adventure, but we think of adventure as like something that other people do. We think of adventure as something kind of yeah, posh people do, and you, you know. Mm. But but literally going to the Epping Forest and camping on your own overnight, you can get the tube there. <laughs> yeah. And my first one, I did. I'd cycled there, but I and, and my first wild camp, I just went. This is incredible. And and how is it scary? No, it's the opposite of scary. You feel because you know there's no one around because you'd hear them through the leaf litter, and it's much you know there's there's a level of relaxation that you don't get when you're in an urban sort of environment. Um, but so we spent quite a lot of time on the river, and then last year I bought a wetsuit and I had I had a swim. I think it's about 
around about October the 20th, something like that. And I had quite a long swim in a wetsuit. I got really, really cold. Um, and, and I just didn't, I wanted to, but I just didn't go back. I, in, I had intended to. And this year I'm like, right, I'm going to go all the way through until it gets warmer again. Um, and the one I did two days ago, uh, was, uh, the coldest and the water was, I think the water is about two and a half, three degrees. Wow. Um, and all I did was I got in and submerged myself twice. Um, I didn't swim. I didn't. So I'm doing it in, I've got like wetsuit gloves and I wear a t-shirt and swimming, swimming trunks. And I've got like, um, swimming shoes. Um, I'm going to buy some uh, wetsuit boots because my feet get really, really, really cold. But the one I did, the one I did then I just got in and it's, you know, it's, but because I've, because I've been doing it consistently, I've been doing it every week. It, it's a, it, it's a completely different experience to if I hadn't done it since October. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can take it and not only can you take it, it's incredibly good for your mental health. My, like it's, 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 I reckon it's the best thing I've ever done for my mental health. It's, it's, um, and it's, it's, I think it's frankly, it's fucking cool. <laughs> like it's like taking a picture of yourself, like who's just been in the water when there's snow on the ground. I'm like, that's black metal as fuck, right? <laughs> um, and, oh, um, it's cool, but it's just not the kind of cool that I would want to. I'd rather, of course, and, 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 and you know, <laughs> no, no, of course, and and but it's it fits in with this. The, I suppose it's you know the person I want to be. I want to be someone who's who has adventures and do, does does interesting things. Um, and I'm going to go in again. To, I was I was going to do one today, but I, I had too much to do this morning before we did the podcast, and I'm, I have obligations for friends in the afternoon. Um, but I'm going to go in again tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow will be a challenge because tonight it's going to be minus six. But I'm going to go in tomorrow um, and making myself accountable here. Um, <laughs> But but I love the we'll idea. Do a little of like uh, in memoriam thing. Well, it's yeah, and and like, but then also what you know what I did was I I had a flask of hot chocolate and I took a yeah, day before yesterday I took a hot water bottle because my feet just take so long to warm back up because what you do when you get out. I sort of take off my take on my t-shirt, quick selfie, then quickly dry off, put put lots of tops on, then I do my bottom half. So I put a hat on and I put my coat like my coat on and then I do my bottom half and my feet are always last and and they just take so long. So I took a hot water bottle and gently so to to avoid chillblains, warmed my feet back up. Um and uh and and it was the you, you the euphoria is just well, it's, it's you know it's, and it's addictive the whole thing is really addictive it sounds like really first of all like plunging yourself in cold water has got to be like one of the most invigorating things i can yeah. understand why it, it's so good for you and it sounds really wholesome with your water bottle <laughs> like i'm like oh maybe i should do this and then like mdma won't ever be a temptation for me <laughs> honestly uh things like getting tattooed uh, the you know the 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 uh, the body's own morphine that comes up from that you know the the the, the endorphin hit uh, I've been tattooed in ages but the endorphin hit from mm. from from this is is just glorious it's really really nice uh, and then I read I, I, there's loads of good blogs and stuff about it but someone's going do you do it do you do it every day and someone went no and then why not because I don't want to be sleepy for the rest of the day every day because because <laughs> you then uh... do get a thing of when I <coughs> when I wild camp 
often the next day I is kind of written off because I'm just tired. You don't you don't sleep well when, <laughs> when you're wild camping. Yeah. It's quite interesting. So I, I I do it without a tent. So I have a bivy bag, um, and and it's really interesting because the morning comes really quickly because you keep sort of, you keep sort of waking up. And you don't it doesn't really feel like you've slept mm-hmm. because you're vigilant. There's a there's a level of sleep. It's this actually when I back when I first started doing stand up and I was um, sleeping on my mate's landing outside the door of his flat. So I was originally sleep, sleeping on his floor in his tiny flat, but I made too much noise. Uh, he's a very 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 light sleeper. So I'm like sleeping outside the front his his front door. It's like the, it was the last flat at the top of the building. Um, and when the neighbours downstairs would leave in the morning, there was an incredible feeling of someone's close. And they, you know, I wasn't in any danger, but it's really, so when you wild camp, there's a thing that you just, it's almost sleeping with one eye open. It's mm. sort of that kind of, you know, you don't sleep that deeply. Um, but, you know, but this is why the, there, there are loads of behaviours that we exhibit that are to do with keeping a group of people safe. So the reason why yawning is catching is because yawning's a, a, a sign that you're tired. And if other people are tired, they are not being vigilant. And so and what yawning does is wake you up because it makes you breathe deeply and puts more oxygen in your lungs. So if someone, if, if you recognize that someone else, this is a theory, if you recognize that someone else is tired in your group, then your body makes you a little bit more alert because you can't trust them to keep an eye out for the saber-toothed tiger. Beautiful. Yeah. I just have to go back real quick so because yeah. I so glibly mentioned MDMA. Uh, listeners, uh, don't do drugs, and I do not do them anymore. I just want to say <laughs> that. I just want that on record. <laughs> I, I started ADHD meds. I threw all the party drugs away. Like, they're not worth it, kiddos. They're not worth it because your shutdown days last forever afterwards. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Sometimes years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Oop. I mean, the, the wild camping, I remember you hitchhiking in the early, lots of ways mm, in yeah. which you sort of yeah. You used to hitchhike to gigs, the... didn't you? Yeah, I hitchhiked to Edinburgh three times, um, and I from London to Edinburgh. The thing is, right, it's almost disappointingly easy. <laughs> <laughs> the, first time, the first time I hitched to Edinburgh, I, it, it went without a hitch, to use the thing. It, it was so... The, next, the second time... Um, I, it, it didn't go as well. And I ended up staying with this bloke on this bloke's sofa overnight. He's like, uh, so, uh, my mate that lives with us. If he comes down in the morning and sees you there, tell him like you work with us and you've, you've been kicked out by your missus. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I just pretended to be asleep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so there's a, there's a book that changed my life called days of war nights of love. It's a piece of anarchist situationist propaganda. And, it's all about, so it's anarchism, so it's, you know, anti-state and anti-authority and that sort of thing, but it's also about the content of your everyday life. If you go to the crime, so crime think, so crime, T-H-I-N-C, the crime think website, there's a reading library on that, um, and, and there, like, there's some, like, basic texts, and they're all about the content of your everyday life. Your life is, you know, like it, your life is, is passing you by. How do you actually want to spend it? Do you want to spend it looking at screens? Do you want to spend it selling the hours of your day in order to pay your bills? Or do you want to live a li- the sort of life that someone would write a novel about? Is your life, would it be worth documenting? Um, and, and for some, and, and this is, this is not um, a judgment on people who have different priorities. Um, my dad, uh, grew up in uh so my dad's you know my dad's family uh, economic migrants right uh, irish family 
dad was born in Ireland. He came over, you know, grew up, you know, when they first moved over, the whole family lived in one room. Then they had a council flat, a council house in Wolverhampton. I mean, Wolverhampton, right? And his, um, and his dad was an unskilled labourer. And my dad has throughout his life sought comfort and and stability and you know he's a self-made man and you know my parents are now now lead a middle-class lifestyle um and that's what he's after and that's important and and an awful lot of people you know um uh, who who come from in unstable backgrounds seek that and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that personally um that's not how I, I used to use the phrase um, um, security is the consolation prize of life. So I quit my day job way before I made enough money from stand up to support myself. Um, I slept on floors and sofa surfed. I, I wanted to squat. <coughs> well, I was planning to squat. People kept offering me places to, so, you know, mate went away for six months and went, Oh, you know, you can look after my flat and stuff like that. Um, which is a for, obviously a form of privilege. Um, but that's my entire life is like, you know, what can I, what can I be doing? What can I be doing next? But then my life got interrupted by this thing of having to raise my niece. Um, and now we're in this strangely, I spend a huge amount of time at home. And then obviously COVID did the same thing. Huge amount of time at home. Lyra needs to have a roof above her head, a stable situation. And I actually spent, I, I mean, I like, I basically had like a mental breakdown about four years ago which is based on a few things, midlife crisis, a bit, you know, the fact that when we all started stand up, you could buy a hat. If you were headlining the clubs, you could buy a house, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now that is hilarious. Um, and, um, and that, but I also really, really mourned my freedom. Stevie and I decided we were never going to have kids. We never wanted to be, tied down by having children we wanted our freedom we used to laugh at friends who uh, you know couldn't go on holiday because of the kids and now we can't go on holiday because of the kid um so but then i sort of reframe that as well this is another piece of texture i've had you know i had 20 years of uh, 22 years of adulthood um of absolute freedom doing what I want to do, going around the world. I mean, Abigail, you're one of two people I've hung out with on three continents, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which, um, by the way, when you came to New York and stayed with me, I uh, I saw Frenchie and the Punks because they oh, were yeah, at your right, show. Right. Yeah. yeah, of course. right. I we, forgot yeah. about them. And then we were like, Frenchie and the Punks. On. I was like, how do I? I've seen them. Yeah, yeah they're very yeah. good. They're Aren't very, they? they're wonderful. very good. And just like in brilliantly inspiring people. But yeah, I now I now re- have reframed this. this um, I mean, you know, Lyra's 13 now. So, you know, she's going to be an adult in five years time. Um, and, and, you know, we, we will always offer her a place to live, but we will be encouraging her to go and do her own thing. Um, you know, um, she's not living with us when she's 30. <laughs> um, but, but it's, but then, then it becomes even more important for me to, to find that, that kind of micro adventure thing, you know, cause I'm not going to be going out to Australia for three months uh you know doing the festivals and, and that sort of thing uh i haven't got the time to hitchhike to gigs because i need to get home in order to pick up the childcare baton so going and swimming in that river over there is a piece of adventure that i can fit in did were you because it feels like the things you do you, you're very much someone that goes well this is who i am this is who i want to be this is the lifestyle i want to live yeah i'm not going to let anyone sort of uh you know 
there must there's pressure, isn't there, to to, to you know to have the sort of um, more conservative lifestyle and to be a more conservative person. Yeah. Were you always someone who went, "Oh fuck that, I'm not not playing by your rules," or uh, was that a journey? No, absolutely, and like, what's absolutely interesting? You always is, were. Sorry, absolutely. I've always been someone who, who right. I've, I've always, I've always like, it, and it's really for me, it's really, really simple. People have, have always judged me as someone who like rebels against the norm for the sake of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I wish the norm was the thing I liked because <laughs> it's you know I'd much rather mainstream society was full of like metal and punk and occultism and adventure rather than you know fucking football and and new kitchens and you know whatever else. Um, so. When I was a teenager, the first, the, for me, the first thing I did was I went vegan. I went vegan in 99. Um, and, uh, I was, I went vegetarian first. Um, and then I went vegan. And this is, this is when it was not a thing. And this is when you had to, ex- in, in restaurants, you had to explain to, in, you know, in English restaurants, you had to explain mm. to them what vegan meant. Um, and, um, I've, you know, I've got some material about, Material about the feeling like you know that was sort of my USP and now everyone's vegan, um, but 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 it you know animal rights is something I was always thinking about. Um, I didn't like the idea of that I was eating something that had been killed on my behalf, mm-hmm. um, and then when, the more I learned about the industry, you know, as soon as you commodify an animal, it's treated like shit. Like everywhere, universally. As soon as it's a commodity, it's not treated like a being. Um, and then I was like, oh, well, I'll, and, you know, and I was listening to bands like Earth Crisis, vegan, the vegan straight edge charcoal band. And they're like, oh, I'll go vegan. And for me, it was just like, oh, that's it. That's an easy solution. <laughs> I don't like the way animals are treated. Oh, I won't buy them anymore. Yeah, it's done. Um, and, and, you know, it just seems like growing long hair and, you know, a metal was something that, that I was drawn to, uh, as like and, and something I identified with and feel I, I still feel very you know, when I go to Bloodstock I feel totally relaxed and at home when I'm at Download I'm I'm fucking Captain Judgy because <laughs> 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 it's such a commercial because the narcissism of small differences comes into play again like you know I grew to a metal festival um and um but but I've all, all and then and then I got into sort of uh, anarchism and things like that and I just quite the thing is questioning. Living life intentionally, that's fundamentally what it comes down to, and questioning how you go about doing Even things like, you know, the, the fringe, I've been, the last few years I've done the free fringe. Um, and there, you know, it's a fucking pain in the ass to get those emails and, you know, it's, it's, but the people that put in all that huge amount of work to get all the venues together is hmm. brilliant. But it, you know, but, but it's a very, very different experience from paying a venue and you just go and they go, right. And now here's your venue. You know, yeah. You, yeah get, you get, you get like 10 emails a day. Um, and as someone who's not very good at admin, those make me panic. Um, <laughs> you know, and oh, by the way, a really good, if you, if you, if you're bad at executive <laughs> functions, don't have kids because the, the school emails you three or four times a day. Oh wow! It's unbelievable the number of emails we get. What 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 can't be put in one email at four you, p.m.? Uh, yeah, exactly. Honestly, the num the amount of admin unnecessary, and the thing is, you most of them are completely irrelevant. And then there's one that's important. 
So Lyra will go, oh, do you know it's, you know, did you get that thing about the <laughs> the trip to the volcano that everyone's going on? No. Oh, it's too <laughs> late now. Yeah, but there was one about, like, volunteering. I had to read one about volunteering to do gardening for the school, a fundraiser for this, and, you know, oh, year 12s have done really well in ballet. Like, <laughs> Not a posh school. It's a state school. It is a posh. It's a posh state school. Uh, it's in Oxford. Um, anyway, like, so, so, uh, free fringe. Yes. Finding a different way of doing the, the number of fringe, finding mm. different ways of, you know, and I do, particularly now that we've got Lyra and, you know, we're, we're moving house, we've got to move house and, and houses are so expensive. And, and I do now resent, I mean, I resent paying someone else's mortgage. Mm. And I do occasionally go, if I'd, instead of doing my A-levels and a degree, which probably haven't helped very much in my job, if at the age of 16, I went and worked in Dixon's where I was doing a, like working at the weekends anyway. Um, and I did that for, so from the age of 18 to, so for four years when I started doing stand up and maybe until I was like 25. So for seven years, till I started doing stand up full time, I could have got a mortgage. And by now, I would own a house outright. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop you right there and tell you something that my sister told me years ago that I've always kept in my head about house owning. So when I still lived in New York, me and my roommate sat down. And and I lived in New York for 10 years now, uh, London 8. So I, I've now rented right. for 18 years, yeah. my entire adult life. Yeah. Uh, and not even at the 10-year mark, me and my roommate sat down and figured out how much we spent in rent over the years. And yeah. it was incredibly sad. And uh, I, I talking to my older sister and I was like, oh, if I didn't do this, if I hadn't have done this, I could have maybe bought a house. And my sister goes, yeah, but then you would have owned a house and and you would have had a house, but you would have never gone to Australia. Oh, you course. would have never done the of Edinburgh course. Fringe. You never, Absolutely. you know, like so as much as like I think we're all at an age where it's like. What if I had done this and well, then I would have owned midlife, that? It's midlife yeah. crisis yeah. thinking, isn't it? That's exactly yeah. it. But, and then as I say, secure, you know, my mantra used to be security is the consolation prize of life. Yeah. I've led, I am the person I am because of all this. And, you know, and I, I feel, I feel there's a, a sense of injustice in that my friends who are like in their fifties and sixties, they, you know, so many of them own, like, have led that adventurous life and also own houses mm. because houses were so fucking cheap in the yeah. early 90s when they could do it. But, you know, but here's the thing. We are, the three of us are hugely, hugely privileged to be able to make a living off what we do. Yeah. It's I absolutely think astonishing and incredible and beautiful. And we are so fucking like i consider myself to be incredibly fucking lucky to a have found the thing i love doing in life i mean even just that is my first stand-up gig i went oh oh yeah this oh right and it was just like no question this is what i do with my life and then to be able to you know pay the rent off the back of that is he is, is incredible so these musings of if i'd <laughs> if i hadn't been quite as punk <laughs> or as you know then then you know, then my, I'll be on easy street, but then I do, you know, I do know, yeah, I've got a really good friend who owns a house and is absolutely hamstrung by it because they, I'm not going to be any more specific. <laughs> is, uh, they are trapped in a, in a trapped in a situation that they don't want to be in with a partner that they're not that bothered about owning a house. And it's like, yeah, if you were, if you were renting, you could be out of yeah. this. Mm. Um, so of course, yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right, Abigail. That, that yeah, you, 
But but it's like, it's, all it is, it's just that fucking thing of paying someone else's fucking mortgage. Yeah. They've still got that. That's, that's, but that's because. You don't want to own a house, you want to overthrow capitalism. That's what you want. So. Exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. The thing I wanted to ask uh, was. I, I love that you have always been someone who's gone their own way. There will be people mm. who listen to this podcast who are different and want to go their own way, but there is that social pressure to, you know, got to fit in, got to mask, can't let people know that I'm, I'm, I'm secretly a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, but what is your advice to those people? This is based on, um, so I'm non-binary and I used to classify myself as a transvestite and um, that's just now sort of outmoded term, I think. And over the years, I've had loads of people say, um, loads of people say thank you for help, helping, like you know, sort of like giving people the kick to to kind of come out about their gender stuff. But then a lot of people saying, I can't. There was someone who was um, like an Olympic trainer or something like that. They trained Olympic athletes and they were like, I, I can't, I'm trapped. And I was like, well, you've got to sort of work out what's important. And mm. I think, I mean, the internet has given us this wonderful level of solidarity with finding, finding the others, finding like-minded people. I mean, the mm. bit that my advice would be find people who are like you. And then even if, you can come out in a really limited way in a little find us like a build a safe space um i'm my, the the group of fans um that watch my online show have formed got a, their own discord and we've like we've had several people come out with their gender stuff everyone's like support they're you know very neurodivergent crowd as well and they found the others and 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 I think the thing is you've got to identify the life you want to live. And if you don't, you know, not everyone has the ability to you can, like throw everything up. But so for example, if someone is, um, uh, uh, gender dysphoria or whatever, there are subtle ways in which you can edge towards that. For example, you could pluck your eyebrows or you could wear clear nail polish. There are little things you can do that just make, give you that little bit of, of gender euphoria. Um, but I guess find the biggest thing, particularly, you know, things like autism or ADHD or any of these sorts of things, find other people, go on, go on the internet, find discord, go on Reddit and things like that and find groups who, who can make you feel better about who you are. And then that might help you to come out to these. Cause I suppose that's the thing what you're talking about, you know, it's, it's family and it's work, isn't it? Those are the kind of two things that help. Yeah. Work. Yeah. And walking down the street. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I mean, in terms of walking down the street, I mean, we, we live in a much, much more open-minded society than the one I grew up in. Like hugely, hmm. um, you know, I used to get shouted at for my appearance all the time. And I look, if anything less, I look weirder now than I did back then. Um, <laughs> And and fundamentally, like it's like the the fool that you know the 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 first card of the of the tarot deck, the fool is, is jumping off a cliff, right, or walking off a cliff into into the unknown. And in my experience, when you do that, the universe catches you. If you come out, you find it's like it's the scariest thing. And when I like, when I started telling people about like I was a transvestite back in back in the very early two thousands, everyone went, okay, oh, is that it? And then when I came out as as, as non-binary. I'd say came out as non-binary. I sort of sidled into non-binary. Everyone went, well, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and everyone, everyone I know that's come out as trans 
has has found people go. I mean, this is what this is what um, Matt Lucas's um, David is is about. The only gay in the village. He's going. I am gay, and everyone's going. Yeah, yeah, we know. No, but I am. That's because he came when he came out of university. He expected this this storm, and everyone went cool. Yeah, there's a gay night you can go to. <laughs> like it, it's it's just it's the the satisfaction of being open about who you really are is worth any pushback you can get, with possible caveats of things like family, childcare. There are obviously these these limitations, but generally, hmm. and here's the thing, right? There's something quite narcissistic about oh, but what will people think? Because the answer is they won't. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is people don't give as much of a shit as you might think, you know. Um, and if they do, then and with caveats of things like family and childcare and work, are these the people you want to be spending your time with and sharing your life with? You know, that gave me all the feels. <laughs> I have goosebumps. Um, I do just want to point out. Um, Andrew, the next time you are in Amsterdam and you feel uh, a little upset that you did not do enough in Amsterdam, remember yeah. you might not have gone to the Rijksmuseum, but you have hitchhiked to Edinburgh three times. <laughs> so you're fine, babes. You're this fine. Is, this is, but this you is slept on a Geordie Man sofa who you just met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to see me drunk it? Um, and, uh, um, but, but no, uh, but this, but the problem with that is right, and it's the same. It's the same with ambition, right? The most ambitious people I know, and the most successful people I know, aren't happy with their lot in life, right? Because mm -hmm. they're always looking at the next thing, and no matter how many amazing, I mean, you know, so Alistair, Alistair Humphreys uh, cycled around the world, right, when he was in his twenties. The problem with anything like that, I mean, I, I and you know, it's nothing like, but I did the North Coast Five Hundred, which is the uh, five hundred and seventeen odd moot, uh, route round the North Coast of Scotland, right? And I cycled that and wild camp most of the way. It's brilliant, great adventure. But you come back from that and you go, oh, I'm still the same person. Mm. And that's the thing. It, 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 it's like these achievements in stand up. I've only recently felt like I've built a body of work. So, so I did. My Radio 4, there's a, and please, I'm going to plug it. It's called Damned Andrew, my Radio 4 sitcom. Uh, a, a very strange occult sitcom that went out on Radio 4. It's on BBC Sounds. So if you look up Damned Andrew. It's very Andrew, funny. I've heard it. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Um, since doing that, I feel like I've built up a critical mass of stuff, of, of, of content. You know, bands put out albums. Most comics don't build up that body of work. But I've got the I've got my metal book, I've got my metal DVD, I've got some shows online, and I now feel like, actually, if I were to die, it wouldn't be this unfulfilled, this life of unfulfilled potential. It would be a life of richness and rich experiences and of and a, and a body of work and that feels good but obviously i'm now going yeah but what's next yeah but what's next yeah and i do i do i am quite good i'm probably better than i sound at being in the moment and going this is nice Aww. and the, re the reason for that is um when i started out simon munry's tv show had been cancelled and very very badly advertised and lee and herring's uh show was cancelled because there was a new head of BBC comedy um, and she didn't like those guys and those three men that were in a career, weird career freefall when I first started they didn't know where they were they didn't know what they're supposed to be doing because up until just before then their careers had been on the up and up and up and on such an upward trajectory that they were looking up for the next step and when the next step was so far down you're not on telling it anymore you're not getting on telly anymore 
what do we do? And they all got really depressed. So I mean, got cancer as well, which is a huge thing. Um, and so from that, his show I, got cancelled. It, it means something different back then. Sorry. Oh, on. sorry. Yes, yes. They didn't get cancelled for reasons of content. Literally, the head of BBC said, "We're not recommissioning you. You can't be on telly anymore." Simply because she didn't like it. Um, and uh, and a new broom sweeping clean and that sort of thing. Um, and oh, sorry. And he got cancer. Cancer. Yeah. He got yeah. cancer. He got yeah, oh testicular, shit. He got testicular cancer. Um, so, so I and I and you know I think the three you know the th- all three of them are absolutely brilliant and and inspirations. So I was very conscious when I started of two things. Number one, to be glad of where I am at each step and enjoy each bit as it came. And this is this has proved valuable because my bits of telly have been in a horrible isolation. <laughs> <laughs> so I did never mind the Boscox ten years ago, and I was like, you know, and and like. About 18 years ago, I was in Steve Coogan's sitcom Saxondale. I'm like, here comes my TV career and didn't. And then eight years later, I'm doing Buzzcocks. Here comes it. No. Um, but I made sure that I went, this is good today. This is really good. Um, and all the other thing to do is to logistically build a career that doesn't need the telly and it doesn't need other people granting you something. Yeah. You know, um, and so, so my, you know, I am happy in the moment and I am glad and grateful for where I am. And, you know, so I do practice that sort of thing as well. Beautiful. Andrew O'Neill, what is your neurodivergent moment to wrap things up? I had a, a really good day um, last week. I've got a big shelving, there's a big shelving unit in our house that's full of our outdoor stuff and our bike stuff, right? So it's full of like bike packing uh, bags and sleeping bags and sleeping mats and like, you know, bits of brake and cable and, you know, and it was an absolute mess. The whole thing was an absolute mess. And so I um, took everything off it and I assist and I got rid of everything we don't need and anyone that's been biking for a lot of time you get all these little like clips that put lights on and and you just keep all of them just in case i'm like no i'm gonna Mm. i'm gonna get rid of these things and and i was doing really well and and then i found my um (laughs) i found there's a big padlock we haven't got the key for and i've got a lock i've got a lock picking set because i got really to lock picking about a year ago right and i was sat trying to pick the lock right and I said to Stevie, who sat next to me, I think this might be one of these ADHD moments. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was doing really like, aren't I, I'm doing my, what is, what is the task you're doing? The task you're doing is clearing up this shelf. And I was literally sat for about 20 minutes trying to pick this. And I'm like, I haven't done lock picking in ages. This is taking ages. And then I just had a, a moment of self-awareness going, I think this might be a, a, a podcastable neurodiversity. <laughs> Because I actually said, I said out loud, I said, I said, why am I doing this? <laughs> why, like, what, what am I get, if I get this open, what does that achieve? It doesn't, it's going to be like, yeah, we can use this now. It'll take me 20 minutes to get it open each time. But that absolute thing of, of like a hyper-focus moment in it with a distraction from the job you're doing that's actually, yeah, that's, that, that was a really, really, because normally it's like, I'll open, I'll have a job. So job A, I open my email in order to find the email that allows me to do job A. Let's say it's sending an invoice. In my inbox 
is a new email, which I will then open because it looks important. That will make me do job B. I will complete job B. I will shut my laptop, go and have a cup of tea, go and have a poo, and then an hour later realize that job A has not got done. <laughs> but in this case, job A was... <laughs> job B was picking a bad luck. <laughs> what am I doing? It's 20 uh, minutes of my day. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I think and- I, we have like a subtitle for each one. I think it's going to, for this one, it's going to be tidying the cupboard via lockpicking or something like that. <laughs> yeah, That's perfect. Um, thank you so much for making thank the time. You. And uh, twice you've made the time because we were all in London at we one time me. to not do a podcast. But I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm over it. Uh, it's not. Well, I, re- I really love both of you. So, you know, this has been an absolute delight. Oh, and it's just like hanging out with two of my mates. It's nice. Yeah. And it's not. It's not like it because you are you are two of the people I consider <laughs> friends. The the friend the friend the friend coworker line is blurred often, but I do genuinely love both of you. So, oh bless you. The feeling is mutual. Exactly. Uh, um, right. What, we'll what you do you do? You want to quickly do a few plugs oh, yeah. for things? Your because all of your work is yeah. brilliant. I mentioned your book, which I would really recommend. Um, what what else do you want people to check out? Um, I would love it if uh, you could listen to Damned Andrew on BBC Sounds. Uh, just Google it. It's a four. Uh, it's a four-part uh, occult uh, sitcom, and it has uh, the likes of Alan Moore does the narration, and it's got Sanjeev Kohli and Jem Brister. It's uh, it's really it's I'm really proud of it. Um, and if you look at my any of my social media, Andrew Andrew O'Neill comedy on any of the social media, but mainly my Patreon. Please sign up to, if you enjoy my work. If you've if you felt this podcast, my contribution to this podcast has been useful. Uh, patreoncom slash Andrew and that's where I do my monthly roundup of the month, and I do sketches and songs and all sorts of uh, other things. So yeah, nice stuff. thank you, thank you very thank much you for having so me. Much. And I'll you. see you soon on the road. Yes, see you on the road. Let's go. Bye. Bye. That was Andrew O'Neill. Yeah, that was Andrew O'Neill, everyone. Abigail was well again, and now she's taking a turn for the worse. Yep. Yep. She uh, was poorly at the beginning of this podcast. Remember got better when, and now worse again. Uh remember when remember when I was uh feeling feeling good? Neither do I. Um <laughs> uh guys, we have some neurodivergent moments sent in by you, our lovely listeners. Oh god, I had one uh yesterday which I need to share. Okay. Um, I, this is this is less of a, of a neurodivergent moment, more of a new series of Joe's issues with neurotypical people. Okay. And, uh, I did it. I'm a bit worried that this person, because they did take a flyer, so they might listen to the podcast. So I'm sorry for slagging off. But also, this is what happened. Um, someone, we had like a, a nice conversation with, so like a parent of an autistic child after um, a gig. And uh, that's all well and good. But um, then she, I do some material about my wife being bisexual. And she goes, um, oh, yeah, because you're and it's good that your wife chose you because they're greedy. And I was like, oh, OK. And uh, and then she did the thing that whenever a neurotypical person makes a slightly offensive joke and I don't laugh, they go, oh, he's autistic. He hasn't understood the joke. So she like said it again and explained it. And it was really awkward. And I went, oh, I, don't, I don't think my wife would like you saying that. And then she properly explained it again. She went, no, no, because bisexual, they like have sex with like all, like everyone. <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. And then I know that she's walked away from that interaction thinking, fucking autistics, they don't understand. I don't understand jokes because <laughs> I didn't laugh at it. Um, you, but I just, uh, I didn't like the joke. 
It wasn't, okay. I didn't understand it. Listeners, this is a very important thing to know when you're talking to a comedian and you think you have something funny to say to them. <laughs> uh, we don't think everything's funny. Think of us as a sommelier. We don't <laughs> want the two-buck chuck cheap wine. We, uh, we know the finest, best wines, the best jokes out there, and your wife is greedy because she's bisexual hack joke. <laughs> Is the two buck chuck of jokes, and I say that with all the love in the world. Yeah, she, it, it was uh, it was awkward, and I know that I think there's so many things where I've had. I know that person's got away thinking he didn't understand. I fully understood the joke. I just wasn't going to laugh at your slightly offensive joke. Oh, uh, my neurodivergent moment is uh, I started to feel not so good, and. Uh, I realized all I could do is sit down. So I actually went into hyper focus mode and finished the uh, finished the promo tiles for neurodivergent moments. The power of hyper focus. That's brilliant. <laughs> and being ill. It's like I literally can't distract myself. I have to do my job. <laughs> We wouldn't recommend getting yourself ill, but it worked yeah. in this case. Yeah, it's the it's the only thing that worked. Um, I like that you're more productive when you're ill. Usually people are the other way around, aren't they? But you've got more productive. I think it's just because I can't do anything else. Mm. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't go outside. I just, so I'm bored. So I have to do work. Mm. Uh, and editing involves my mind to a level that I can do. Like I did try to sit down and play piano and that's too much of my brain. So I was like, but I can watch my own podcast for an hour and decide <laughs> what is a 30 minute chunk, 30 second chunk to put on social media. 30 minutes is too long. Yeah. That's, yeah that would be the whole no, podcast. <laughs> that would be the whole podcast. Um, do you have any neurodivergent moments from our listeners? Yes, I do. Um, I, uh, this is from Thomas Woodland. Um, he says, this is, more, this is more of a question, which I'm interested to know our listeners' uh, thoughts on. Uh, I wondered, have you ever been trying to explain your ND thought processes or habits? And someone replies, Every, yes, everyone does that. I'm surprised when I find out I actually do something the normal way, uh, normal in inverted commas. Also, from my perspective, I feel like I'm acting and thinking like everyone else. And I'm incredibly surprised when I mention uh, that I'm autistic or maybe autistic. And they reply, I know. Two occasions come to mind. Camping at a festival with a girl I'd met a handful of times. And she said, yeah, I know. I can tell by the way you talk. And also a girl at work who said, I can tell by the way you walk. Uh, Joe, has anyone suggested you have an interesting walk? I, that has been suggested to me many times that I walk in a certain way. I don't know whether there's research on this, whether autistic people walk in a certain way. I destroy shoes. Uh, a, a pair of shoes will last me two or three months me too um, is that i when then it this there's so much research on things around autism that doesn't need to be researched we need to research suitable shoes for autistic people <laughs> or neurodivergent I, people broadly i've heard the uh walking on your toes thing for yeah i don't think i do that but um i, I feel I like i have that... quite heavy walk I'm, yeah, I'm a heavy walker. Tom gives me a hard time for the way I walk because he's like, it's like you throw your feet in front of you. In fact, <laughs> though, I think this is just like a thing in my family because my brother came to visit once a couple years ago. And and the way I walk is kind of like, I don't know, so like 
it's not graceful. This is a long, long way to say it. And my brother was like, hey, I used to walk like that too. I realized when you were walking, I was like, I used to walk like that. So then I actively changed it. So I didn't look like an idiot. And I was like, oh, don't change your walk. You have a wonderful walk. Oh, thank you. you. I've I've tried to change it. But again, it takes a level of focus that I just don't care to do. (laughs) I think at the end, I've destroyed Doc Martens. You know how Doc Martens lasts forever. Yeah. With Joe Wells, I can I can get through a Doc Martin's boot in about a year. What wears out first, or what wears out? Uh, different parts: the sides, the undersole, um, yeah, sort sort of all around the edge. Different different bits of it will wear out. My mom bought me a pair of Fry boots, and those are like uh, cowboy boots, and they're like expensive. Years mm. ago, and I used to wear them all the time. I still have them. And uh, when I got to London, I took a picture of the bottom of it and I wore a hole through the sole and the heel was totally worn out on one side because I walk on like the edges of my feet. And my mom was like, I've never known anyone to wear a hole through fry boots. Like it's supposed to be They're impossible. They're proper like industrial, yeah. And and- do you think it's, I wonder whether it's fidgeting for me as well. Do you think, do you fidget with your feet? I mean, I do, but my weight's not on my feet. And like I'm barefoot in the house or wearing at least house slippers. So I don't, I really think it's about the walking. I don't think it has anything to do with the fidgeting. If you're stretching a shoe back and forward. By yeah, maybe. Your toes or whatever that could, um... That's a good point. If there's anyone who funds research listening to this, this is what we want to know. And we yeah. want suitable shoes for us. Exactly. Okay, I have a couple neurodivergent moments that have been sent to us through Instagram comments. And uh, one is five weeks old and one is seven weeks old. Uh, so engage with our posts and I'll eventually we'll get, get around eventually. to it. Uh, this one's from Kel Bell, 2492. My neurodivergent moment is having a note since season one with two half-written neurodivergent moments to send you. LOL. And then... <laughs> Uh, Bistography wrote, well, yes, I've been planning to send you an email since I've heard the first episode quite some time ago, but I have ADHD, so I didn't come around to it yet. Guys, I get it. <laughs> I wonder what their real moments were. That's like a like a meta moment, isn't it? I know, I know, and I love that so much. But you know what? You get the dopamine hint just from being like, I was going to send you one. I just haven't sent you one. I have come back, accident. Yeah, I still get it. So if you have a neurodivergent moment to send us, by all means, get in touch with us on email. What's our email address? It's neurodivergentmomentspod at gmail.com. Yes. And uh, also, if you are someone who uh, maybe it's a little tricky to always remember to sit down and write an email, I hear you, Kel Bell in Bustography. Um, you can always leave a comment on our social medias at NDM underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And I will see it in five to seven weeks. <laughs> We're pre-recording this as well. So it's actually going to be about three months by the time this goes out. Still counts. Still we'll counts. Get there eventually. We're, all, we're all doing our best. <laughs> Guys, uh, that is, uh, that, that, that's all. That's, that's the all episode. That's, that's all you're it. getting. We'll you see you in a, a fortnight right. or a week if you're on the Patreon. Yeah. Bye. Bye.